HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins. I work for Fairway Markets in the New York area, and we're awfully proud to support Heritage Radio and we care so much about everything that goes on out here at Roberta's in their studio because they talk to people who are, are serious about food and that's what we are at Fairways. We're serious about food. We we just care very deeply about about you as a as a customer and how you cook and what you cook with and how you entertain and and that's why we love to support Heritage Radio because it, it it's pretty much the same thing. It's wanting to to find happiness through serious food and people who are serious about it and and care about learning everything there is to learn about it. And that's that's we're kindred spirits. If it's something worth having in your kitchen, you're going to find it at, at Fairway. And if there's somebody worth talking to about food, you're going to find them on Heritage Radio, and we will be supporting you guys for a long, long time. At Fairway, I'm your personal grocer, Steve Jenkins, Fairway Market. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Zeb Stewart, visionaire of Williamsburg. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, the designer of a lot of formative spaces for a lot of people that live here in Brooklyn. Um, but we'll, we'll get to, you know, what you own and operate later, but kind of want to talk about your formative years. Um, Zeb grew up in Petaluma. In what area of California is that? 
Uh, Petaluma, California. It's uh, it's in Sonoma County, north of San Francisco, uh, on the border of Marin County. Yeah, yeah. It's big town, small town. Small town. Yeah. I mean, small town, but I was just upstate, not by upstate standards. Small town, like forty-five to fifty thousand people. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So I mean, just beautiful vistas, vineyards, avocado trees. Yeah, it started out all you know dairy farms and cow patties, but recently I've been back there, and it is all vineyards and vistas and beautiful yeah. you know SUVs and all that stuff it's changed Marin County has moved north yeah. yeah yeah but I mean it's like that Epicurean agrarian thing yeah it's awesome I mean yeah all the stuff that's been going on in Brooklyn is amazing you know and I and it just makes me remember growing up in Northern California uh, all the amazing food stuff that's going on there has been going on there for 30 years. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But you were introduced at a young age to food. Uh, your first job was at a local supermarket. Yeah, that's true. I don't, you know, not in a glamorous fashion. I was like the produce guy yeah. at a local back to basics. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, yeah, you know, I learned how to clean lettuce and make it look like it was just picked. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> wash everything and carrots and stock the bulk bins and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And back to basics was kind of like, Whole Foods before it was Whole Foods. Yeah, they were really, really small. Whole Foods actually got rid of Back to Basics. They moved in and, and Back to Basics went down. But yeah. Back to Basics had its own little farm that they were doing, you know, so that introduced me to farming when I was really young. So I got to get up at 5 a.m. and ride my bike, you know, just over the Marin County border, do some farming. Yeah. And uh, it made me realize how hard that was. And, and I have a lot of respect for it. And the people that are doing the farming now, I just, you know, I'm so glad that I'm not part of it yeah. <laughs> anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it's still something that a lot of people don't realize how, how absolutely, you know, uh, yeah, organic painstaking at yeah, all. Organic farming is really, really hard work, you know, and you know, you lose a lot of product to bugs and stuff and that's just part of it, you know. And you gotta get up the crack of dawn every single day. Yeah. It's yeah. Actually, uh, so Zeb lives in Bushwick and we'll talk about the castle and oh, I'm, yeah. I'm air quoting okay. uh, later and I walk by that little Bushwick farm. Um, you know, like a yeah. block away from your house that has a couple chickens and yeah. some lettuces. Cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really amazing, cool. but like in this urban setting it seems obviously so out of place yeah and then they have to put in you know these people that are doing that kind of farming out in bushwick now they have to put in obviously some kind of like plastic layer to cut off the soil they're yeah. bringing in from the all the tainted soil that's below it so it's, it's that's a lot of work too <laughs> yeah so why did you move to brooklyn why this urban society void of evergreens and foliage yeah well for a girl obviously yeah. <laughs> that's how it usually works yeah. out you know then just got caught up in the whole scene of the place i mean i lived right around the corner from where we are right now and tame street right across from boar's head meets about 14 years ago you yeah know, right between a coffin manufacturing carpentry shop and and i think a crack house on the other side yeah. so it was pretty desolate yeah and then I just got caught up in the in the you know the energy of New York, the people of New York. I got to be, you know, in a neighborhood that I saw evolving around me, and I got to participate. So it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's really but fun. Uh, we haven't even mentioned uh, you know what you do today. Uh, right. Zeb is the owner of Union Pool of Hotel Del Mano and Cafe Colette. But restaurants, bars were not your first job in New York. No, I came to New York. Um, I was I came to New York interested in film. I was working as an AC, which is like the guy on the basically pulls the focus on the on the camera, yeah. reloads the cameras. Yeah. And then um, I was also working as a waiter in the city. And uh, where were you working? I was working at Bar Six, Sixth yeah. Avenue and Thirteenth Street, a direct commute from the Morgan Stop yeah. in Bushwick, <laughs> straight down the L train, pop out at Sixth Avenue, and two blocks down. Yeah, and. Um, and actually, that's where I started getting in, in, introduced into interiors and being interested in design because uh, 
Ian McFeely was one of the guys that kind of did all design work there at, at Bar Six. He also did a lot of work for um, for who am I? Keith, Keith McNally. McNally. Keith yeah. McNally. Yeah. yeah, that guy. <laughs> and uh, he just did beautiful stuff. And I started talking to him, and I decided to take a summer off and work with those guys. Yeah. So, so after meeting Ian uh, and what's his partner's name? Uh, Christian Garnett. Yeah. yeah. They have a little design company called Grayling Designs. They do some beautiful stuff. So what? Such as, uh, well, they just worked. Oh. Yeah, they worked on. I mean, I don't know if they had formed their company yet, but they definitely did a lot of the work on Balthazar, uh, Schiller's. Um, they just recently did the hotel for De Niro down in uh, the Greenwich Hotel, which is downtown there. I mean, they just do some really cool stuff. Those guys were definitely mentors to me, and and I realized like what could be achieved with you know with interior spaces. Yeah, pretty amazing. In what facet did you work with them? Uh, I was uh, I started out as a finished carpenter and and probably not one of the better ones on the job site. Yeah, yeah. But then I uh, worked up so I was like a project manager. So I was basically kind of the guy stuck between you know the carpenters, the client, and the designer, which yeah. is not always the best job to yeah. have. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it was more about communication than it was. Yeah, it was more about communication else. and understanding the level of you know we were trying to get things to. Yeah. You know? And at that time, you were kind of were you living at the Gretsch Building yet? Um, let's see. Yeah, I was living at the Gretsch Building. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had moved from uh, Tame Street here uh, to the Gretsch Building, the ninth floor in the Gretsch Building. That's when you could get ten thousand square feet for twenty four hundred dollars yeah. in the Gretsch Building. Um, I had a fraction of that that I shared with a bunch of other people, and uh, yeah, I think that's when I realized I should get into the bar business. It was when I threw a I threw a New Year's Eve party there, and we were charging six bucks at the door, and yeah. I think a <laughs> thousand people showed up, and I woke up with more money in my pocket the next day than I'd ever yeah. had, and I was like, "Well, okay, let's yeah. all go to brunch," you know. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. From there, how did you find? Because Union Pool was your first space opened mm-hmm. in like 2000. Yeah, I partnered up with my uh, partner Alyssa, uh, Alyssa Beta, and she was married to a friend of mine, Ray Beta, who had a studio in the Gretsch Building with me. And Alyssa had always been wa- had always wanted to open a bar, and so she approached me. At that time, I'd already been doing some stuff, like kind of building stuff for the guys at the diner across the street. We built them a new dish room. Yeah. And, built a storefront for you Gal- mean diner like marlowe yeah marlowe yeah. diner back in the day and actually so many people you know from that community that did that you know all split off and kind of did their own thing you know um <coughs> dresler came out of that you know um and then i was working at also galapagos and cal from rye came out of that yeah. you know so it was a pretty interesting time in williamsburg yeah a lot of people were being inspired by the restaurant industry i think because every time a restaurant opened up at that time in williamsburg it was like just this huge event that we all went to and we were like guys guys are so cool yeah. like, opening up the bars you know we were well just- you, you were telling me about um house knots dish which i i never got the experience but yeah was, you know that precursor to a lot of really hip uh, cool yeah that, i mean that was just such a cool restaurant um just guy had his own style it was really beautiful we used to all come from bushwick back to osnott's dish to have brunch there it was a good meeting place for us and uh, now I have that space, yeah. which is amazing. I just found a picture of me the other day eating in Osnott's dish yeah. with my parents, and they sent it to me. But, I mean, it was just that it made you realize what could be achieved with an interior and yeah. how it could really transport you somewhere. And that space now is Cafe Colette. Yeah, that's Cafe yeah. Colette now. So know. what did Osnott's dish look like? Um, not just like ambiance, aura, but, you know, materials in there as well. Oh, the guy, I mean, he used tons of tile, beautiful tile, bar, I mean, just tons of work, like a real work of labor. Like, it, it, it's one of those things that had evolved over years, not something that was, you know, just opened one day. Uh, it was all tile, mosaic tile, bright blues, greens, yellows. He had a big, swooping, 
uh, stamped tin ceiling in there. And then in the backyard was really like the epic room, which was this like kind of glassed in plexiglass and aluminum or Lexan and aluminum room with a big tree in it, maybe a fig tree or something. Yeah. It was really beautiful. And then he had a lot of Moroccan, you know, brass lamps hanging and stuff. The guy was just a badass. It yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. yeah, it was really awesome. Uh, when we had met last week and talked a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, you had said something to me uh, that you build places that you want to go hang out with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or hang out in. Mm-hmm. Um, was Osnott's Dish that place that you wanted to hang and wanted to make for yourself? Yeah, I mean, Osnott's Dish is, I mean, that's something that I like to hang I, I also love to hang out in places that I would never build. You yeah, know, that I yeah. wouldn't know how to build. You know that, and I, sometimes I, my favorite thing is when I walk in a place. I'm like, oh, this place is weird looking because I do a lot of construction. I'm like, yeah. look how they did that. Look how they did that. And then I hang out there for 15, 20 minutes, and I think, I start thinking like, I'm having a great time here. You know, and I'm yeah. like really enjoying myself. And so then I start thinking like, what is it they're doing right that I just don't understand? Yeah. You know, and so, and that's my favorite kind of place. And that's what Osnott's Dish was. It was a place that. It was way beyond anything I could do. This guy, it was so particular to yeah. the person that owned it. It was not something that I could ever copy or anybody could ever copy. And it was a great place to hang out. Yeah. yeah. yeah Are there great. places like that that exist in Brooklyn right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think that... I mean, not... This was like... That was like a one-man kind of yeah. opus, you know? Yeah, <laughs> Some yeah. guy just went crazy. And I mean, yeah, there's definitely all these people in Williamsburg right now that are doing awesome stuff. I mean... Uh, Moto over there, Johnny and Billy at Moto over there, awesome. Uh, the guys over at Five Leaves, they just opened a new place. They called Nights and Weekends. Oh, I can't wait! It's to check it's awesome. Out, yeah. yeah, it's beautiful, and everybody is doing beautiful stuff now. So it's just like, it's just epic, you know. It's like a lot of places to go. It makes the neighborhood way better, and there's like inspiration like around every corner. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. What? Why do you think that bar was raised though? Which one? The, well, not the specific bar. The bar for oh, quality oh, here okay. in Brooklyn. I was, like, yeah. I was thinking raised, like destroyed. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God. Um, I think it, it's like a community in Williamsburg, you know? We're all borrowing, you know, borrowing from each other. We're seeing what each other's doing. Then I know for me, like, working with the guys, you know, Ian and Christian, those guys that did all the work for Keith McNally and stuff, they had a really, really high bar for things being really, you know, tight, perfect, clean. And what I found my own myself is like when I went to other places that were actually built by people that maybe didn't have quite an understanding of construction. Yeah, I actually found them more welcoming. You yeah. know, like um, I went into you know Johnny and Billy's place at Moto, and that place was beautiful. You know, and it was really beautiful in a way that it wasn't as beautiful. I felt at like Balthazar or Pastis or something mm-hmm. where things were so tight, contrived and, yeah. you know, regulated. They left, they left a little room for you to exist within the space, you know? So I definitely was influenced by those guys, you know, and I use that going forward, you know, after union pool. Yeah. So do you educate yourself on, you know, construction and materials or do you sometimes try intentionally not to educate yourself so you can make those, yeah. you know, uh, inherent yeah. Uh, mistakes quirks. Yeah. or quirks? Yeah. I mean, I think that I educated myself really thoroughly on construction and framing and building and masonry and stuff when I was younger. And now I'm kind of like letting a lot more mistakes happen yeah. and really appreciate, appreciate, yeah, appreciating those, yeah. you know, those spaces that are kind of more organic. Yeah. What, what have been some of more exciting mistakes? Um, well, let's see what I think. I, we just did this cast cement bar at Cafe Colette. Um, which uh, we use stamped tin. If you look underneath the bar at Cafe Colette, the whole bar is cast out of one slab of cement. And uh, that started as a really neat idea, but yeah. the, the, the mold broke while we were doing it. And like the bar is actually kind of warped a little bit and there's all these air pockets in it, but it ended up looking really beautiful when we finished it, you know? Um, I've been also trending, uh, trying to use just the materials I have laying around. Yeah, yeah. 
So in the backyard at Cafe Clip, we just I just went into my uh, garage over here at Bushwick and just started pulling out all the wood that we had yeah. and just started using it, you know, and like, let's use this, let's use that, let's use this for the walls, yeah. you know, and it's it's amazing how things can work out like that. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It's you funny know? you call it a garage and other people call it a castle. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I've lived there for a little while. Yeah, so, yeah. so we're going to take a quick break and actually explain what we mean by the castle. Okay. You've been cool. listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Sunday at 4.30 p.m., tune in to Burning Down the House. Architecture is the laser focus of Burning Down the House, a weekly discourse on all things built, destroyed, admired, and despised. Each week, Curtis B. Wayne, your host, invites a posse of authors, critics, builders, designers, and other architecture fiends to reflect on various topics related to perhaps the most functional of all art forms. Again, that's every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Zeb Stewart of Union Pool, Hotel Del Mano, Cafe Colette. Hello. And, <laughs> hey. <laughs> we, we were just talking about, a, well, Zeb called it his garage, uh, but uh, I think it was like a 2008 New York Times article called it Bushwick Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little about this space, how you found it, and what it actually is. Um, I mean, I've been lucky enough to live in some pretty amazing spaces in Brooklyn and in New York. And uh, I never thought, after leaving Bushwick probably about 12 years ago, I never thought I would move back to Bushwick ever again. Yeah. Because back then it was pretty desolate. We didn't have no Roberta's Pizza or anything. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful out here right now. But. Um, I basically, the whole key to finding apartments in New York, I'll tell you this right now, is you just have to start looking when you don't need an apartment. Yeah. You know, just constantly looking. And for people like me who are kind of into architecture and design and spaces, it's something I'm doing anyways. And so while I was living in Vinegar Hill, which I'm sure you guys all know, north north of Dumbo, yeah. on a little street called Front Street. And it's beautiful. I had two fireplaces, this one little room and a little backyard. I mean, uh, my friend's building was beautiful. But I was perusing Craigslist. And I was looking for a workspace, and I was looking out Bushwick because it was cheap. And I found this workspace that seemed really expensive. You know, it was like, it was like, you know, it was like Belvedere Street. It was like studio plus workspace. You know, it was like I can't remember thirty five hundred dollars or something. It said two thousand square feet. I was like, that's expensive for yeah. for that price. And then it had a picture of it. It had a picture of what everybody's calling Bushwick Castle now. Yeah. And uh, I was such 
an architect. I was just so interested in the way the building looked, I went out to look at it. And when I walked into the back of the building, this is a building that was the office for the old Ulmer Brewery. And in the back of the building, what they had said was a studio was actually like another 3,000 square feet courtyard, studio spaces, and was the old horse stables from the Ulmer Brewery. So, I mean, it's just this epic, I mean, I think what went through my mind was like, holy shit, I'm moving back to Bushwick. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like, and I could instantly think of 10 people that would, you know, kill me for the space. Yeah. yeah. So I just, you know, tried to stay calm. And actually, luckily for me, the guy that owned the building, he was an, a stonemason, and he uh, he was friends with uh, those guys I was mentioned earlier, Christian Garnett and Ian McFeely, and they gave me a good recommendation. I got in there really quick. So, yeah, yeah it's a really hard place to leave. Yeah. Talk about just the facade itself. Um, I mean, you just should go by and look at it. You know, 31 Belvedere Street just got uh, just got historically recognized by New York City. Uh, I don't know anything about the historic architecture. I'll mess it all up. But yeah. I mean, it lo- has what appears to be like a mansard style roof. It looks like an old post office. Beautiful brickwork. I mean, uh, custom made bricks, custom made terracotta um, signs and stuff on the front of it. Uh, it's just it's beautiful. You know, it's like one of those things that. Uh, it's a reality check for everything that you build, you yeah. know, like, and I think anytime you look at some really good architecture from the past, it makes you kind of put yourself in perspective. Yeah. 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 You were just talking over the quick little break about Hotel Domano, uh, mm-hmm. maybe having a similar air about it with honest materials. Right. That's uh, true. Yeah. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, Hotel Domano was built by me and my partner, Michael Smart, and um, he does restoration and he's an amazing craftsman. And I think that we both really wanted to be able to hang out in that bar and feel that we were in the the real thing. So we spent a lot of time like building the bar the way that it would have been built a long time ago. There's no wiggle board in there. There's no metal studs in there. There's, you know, there's no formica. There's no plastic. It's all marble, mahogany, brass, copper, steel. You know, the bar is built to be there a really, really, really long time. And I hope it's there, you know, well after I'm not around, you know, yeah. I mean, it'd be cool to come back to New York and, you know, 30 years if I'm not here and, and see some cool, like, you know, bar there with the TV up and horse racing on it. Yeah. Like <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was interesting when you were talking last week uh, about having places that are very blank canvas, you know, very mm-hmm. little art on the wall so they can have a natural progression and evolution. Yeah. Well, I think that it's, this trend that caught on the last couple of years was like open up a perfectly aged space with all the, you know, perfect art on the walls and everything. And at some point, it's just like you have to kind of call BS on that a little yeah. bit. You know what I mean? It's just like, the, I mean, the ultimate, you know, thing that you want to create is you want to create an institution, you know, but institutions are created over time, you know, yeah. you try to rush it, it just ends up being a knockoff a little bit. So I think that at Del Mono, if, I mean, if you go to Del Mono, first off, right when you walk in, you'll see there's missing two giant chandeliers in the front room. Yeah. There's two light bulbs on the ceiling yeah. because we just haven't found the right lights for that yet. Yeah. And I don't know if we ever will, but... Um, we're okay waiting, you know? And also, I feel like the wall across from the bar needs a big oil painting, but I think that's just going to happen over the next years. You yeah. know, we're going to find something that's perfect for that space, and we're going to know it, and we're going to put it on the wall, you know? Yeah. I mean, when it first started, it was just cocktails and nut mixes from Zahadis. Oh, yeah. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then after that, it kind of uh, got a little bit of food, turned into an oyster bar, mm-hmm. um, started yeah. pulling back on the cocktails and just wanted to be more beer. And now there's a whole bunch of rosé tonight. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, what's so interesting about designing and running bars and restaurants is the reality check that it has to be a business, too, on top of all yeah. this stuff, you know? And so what the reality check for me was when I opened a cocktail bar was 
that people tip the bartenders a dollar for a cocktail, even yeah. if it takes them five minutes to make that cocktail. Meanwhile, over at Union Pool, these guys are getting a dollar for a PBR. It takes them 10 seconds to open it for yeah. you. you know? So they're making $50 an hour in tips. And the guys that have all these years of experience you know, trying to be you know, uh, mixologists, or I just call mm-hmm. them bartenders, but yeah. you know, they're getting you know, $12 an hour, $15 yeah. an hour. So. Well, you also never wanted to be a place for a mixologist you, no. or the discussion of cocktails. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, uh, you I would, hate cocktails. I actually <laughs> really don't like cocktail bar. I love cocktails. I love having a good drink. But yeah. I hate that environment where you know, the customers know more than the bartenders. Yeah. They just quiz them on stuff. It's really... I mean, I always say... I mean, I told the bartenders at Union Pool, I was like, let's let people here talk about sex, love, politics, art, war, but yeah. not fucking cocktails yeah i mean i want people to have a great drink in their hand and i want everybody you know we serve budweiser at del mono we serve you know great champagnes at del mono it's like we just want to be a really good bar we don't want to be specific to a certain trend but we're really proud of the cocktails we make we have some great bartenders making some great drinks and uh yeah we're really focused on it and we just keep adding you know different things every year we're interested in something new we were interested in absinthe you know we're really interested in lambruscos and rosés right now you know and and the end result, hopefully, is that we are well-educated in a wide field of, you know, products. Yeah. So, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, you were talking about institution, too. Um, you know, yeah. being something for everybody, I think, is a big part about being an institution. And uh, Union Pool kind of has been that for that neighborhood for a while. Yeah, but how close. often do you go? I go to Union Pool. I probably go, like, once or twice a week. Yeah. Um, I definitely don't hang out there as much as I yeah. used to. But it seems like this year, I mean hats off to everybody at Union Pool because like while I was off building Del Mono at yeah. Cafe Colette they kept that running and turned it into even a better bar every year Union Pool is better and this year it's like we just opened a new bar outside called Bongos which we didn't <laughs> set out to name it yeah. that but now it's called Bongos and yeah. it's just it's awesome I went there and I was like this bar is just it's a great bar Yeah. and I think sometimes when I step away from something I can come back you know, and see it being operated and just like really appreciate it as a customer would. And that's like the hardest thing. I think when you own something, you think that owning it is going to give you an elevated sense of like what it was being a customer, but even better, but it actually degrades it because all you know is like, you know, the sinks that are leaking and the things that aren't working and the ice machines that need to be fixed, you know, but sometimes when I'm away and I can come back to union pool, I just walk in there as a customer and I just think, wow, this place is just awesome. You know, it's just a great bar for what it is. So many people play music in the back and use that space. You know, there's so many people meeting their wives and husbands and girlfriends outside. Yeah. You know? I'm sure we've destroyed some a lot of relationships, yeah. <laughs> too, but we apologize. Yeah. You know, it's just it's a great bar. It's really cool. I'm, I'm so glad to be part of it. You know, it's pretty awesome. So Cafe Colette, your newest mm-hmm. baby, yeah. is uh, what, about a year old? About a year old, yeah. Yeah. What do you have, uh, you know, in the future? What, what are its plans or where do you hope for it to go? Wow. Cafe Colette, I mean, we've been working really hard just trying to figure out how to run a restaurant correctly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and... I we, mean, like, from the design aspect, too, mm-hmm. it was very influenced from travels that you hadn't done prior to Union Pool and yep. Del Mano, that you went to Argentina, and it has yeah. a little South American tinge. Yeah, I'm really interested in doing different spaces. I don't really want to do the same thing over and over, and I felt like Hotel Del Mano, like... Michael and I did such a good job. I felt like we did a good job for what we wanted to do there, and I was proud of it. I didn't really want to go do another marble, mahogany, classic, Cuban, European, South American like place like that. 
I was kind of influenced by all the people I'd seen in Mexico and stuff, just kind of painting and fixing up their restaurants. And so Cafe Colette looks elegant, but if you look a little bit closer, it uses really cheap materials. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. the floor is painted. It's not really tile. The, you know, the bars are all cast out of cement that you can buy for $5 a bag, you know? So it's, even though we, we did spend a lot of time and money there, but we didn't use anything expensive. I don't know how that worked yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and Cafe Colette, you know, it started out as sitting at Del Mono across the street, just thinking, wouldn't it be great if we go over there and get something to eat, you know? And then now we started out with simple foods, I think, you know, simple summer foods. And now we just became much more interested in where we're going with food, you know? So we just going to, we're going to open a backyard there. It's probably going to open this week, actually. Oh, excellent. So yeah. we have this old glassed-in, you know, backyard that kind of throws back and tips its hat to Osnott's dish. Yeah. And I don't think it's... It's pretty cool. It's not as cool as his backyard, yeah. but it's pretty cool. And um, we're going to just... We're going to blow it out. We're just trying to cook really consistent, great food, you know, and uh, seasonally, and uh, just kind of, like, stay on that tip. Yeah. I basically... My thing with Cafe Colette is, like, I don't even want to say anything about it. I just want to, like... I just want to do it, you know? It's like... Yeah. I. I have, I'm having a really hard time, like, um, like promoting it because I just feel like we got to just put our nose down to the grindstone and just work quietly behind the scenes at getting everything really yeah. good, you know. Like, and I think that that there's like a certain amount of honesty in that that I hope that we can pull off there. You know, we got a new chef there, um, Charlie Broussard, and uh, he's awesome and he's a really quiet worker that knows about food and like I'm kind of inspired by that. Like, like yeah, let's just work on our service, let's work yeah. on our wine, let's let's make the people that come here really happy. And I don't think that we want to blow it out there. We just want to, like, you know, over time. I think in, like, a year or two, you want to be amazing, you know? Yeah. So. No, but it's nice to have that humility. And also think of it, you know, slow and low. That it doesn't all have to be, like, most yeah. of your spaces, you're saying, perfect or finished when I just can't do it perfect yeah. when I open. I just realized that it's just not my bag, you know? It's yeah. like Del Mono wasn't perfect when we opened. It was a disaster. You know, like you said, it was just a bunch of Sahadi nuts and, yeah. like, some cocktails. <laughs> And it just takes time, and I realize that it's good for me because I'm such like a kind of ADD, high energy person. It's good to have like these long term goals that kind of root me in things, you know. So I can just keep going back, like, oh, cool. I mean, as long as it's getting a little bit better, I'm always happy. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Uni Pool, I feel like it's been getting better for ten years. It's awesome. Yeah. It's so cool, you know. And I didn't really have a lot to do with that in the last few years, but it's pretty amazing. Yeah, you know? yeah. it's cool. No, it's great to see that all these things have a direction. But is there another big project that you're working on, or, or inspirations that you're finding? You had mentioned recently going to Barcelona and checking out a whole bunch of uh, market. Yeah, I mean, the Barcelona, I mean, if you can go to Barcelona, just go there and check out the food scene. They're so proud of what they're doing. You know, the food is so great in Spain. It doesn't have anything to do with the project that I'm doing. I mean, I've been in the neighborhood for a long time now, so I feel like I get, I have my fingers in different projects. Yeah. But I don't really know if there's anything. I really am focused just on Colette right now. Yeah. You know, I'm, I want to take the summer and enjoy it. There's so many opportunities coming. There's so many people coming to our neighborhood. It's like, I almost like feel like I want to hang back and, and eat at their restaurants, you know? Yeah. But this next few years, I mean, Williamsburg just started attracting like the really big fish to the, to the feeding frenzy over yeah. here, you know? So I feel like I've been kind of keeping pace with Williamsburg throughout time, you know, and now it's, it's getting pretty big time. So um, I'm trying to decide if I want to, you know, step it up and go with these guys or I want to hang back and just, I'm really proud of what I've done. So. I'm not really sure if it's going to be restaurant or what it's going to be. Yeah, but. because you mentioned, what was it, uh, out in Marshall, California, a little place, Tony's? Tony's Seafood, yeah. 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 Explain Tony's to me. Tony's Seafood is just like one of those places, it's kind of like we were saying earlier, it's a place like you can't build. It's an institution, it's unbuildable. You know, it's like something that had to take place over time. I think it's been the same family for who knows how long. 
and uh, they basically barbecue oysters out there, great fish sandwiches. It's a blue-collar seafood restaurant, you know, on a really, you know, foggy little, you know, it's out in Marshall, which is on the other side of Inverness. Um, it's out on Tamales Bay, and it's like there's nothing out there unless you're, you know. Yeah looking for fog you know in sand dunes but <laughs> yeah. i mean it's beautiful there and they have it's just i don't know you have to go there and check it out yeah yeah so are you awesome. trying to build i'm not saying you know a barbecue oyster place even though i would mm-hmm. love that here in brooklyn yeah no. um, are you trying to build your tony's yeah i mean i think that i have you know i god i don't know you know it's like i don't even know if that's possible to do that i never really thought that I was going to get into the restaurant business. I always thought it was like such a hard business, you know, I've been kind of drawn in unwillingly, but, uh, <laughs> kicking the screen. Yeah. Right and now I'm like, Oh God, I'm in deep, you know, yeah. I'm treading water <laughs> in here. So, uh, I'm not trying to build my Tony's. I think that that's just something that happens and you can't set out to try to do that. You know, if you're lucky enough, I'm so happy that Union Pool has become what it is. Like, you know, I actually thought that was going to be the only bar that I ever built. It wasn't until I got older and I realized, like, I wasn't going there as much. Yeah. And that Williamsburg didn't have a bar for me to go hang out in. Yeah. I thought, maybe I should build Hotel Del Mono. You know, I was going to the city to hang out at other people's bars. Yeah. So, yeah, if that happens, if I own a, you know, if I own a Tony Seafood one day, then, you know, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting to see where you want to hang out next because... Like yeah. Field of Dreams, you're going to have to build it. Yeah. So, so thanks for being on the show, Zeb. And, oh, uh, thanks for having me. If Michael. you haven't been to Union Pool, Hotel de Mano, Cafe Collab, check them all out. <laughs> Good luck. Fantastic. <laughs> Godspeed. Yes. You've been listening to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to Jack and Carlos in the studio, Fairway for sponsoring, and all of you for listening. Hope to have you back here Tuesday, 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. This week, all over the internet and also in all of the meat uh, trade papers, as well as in this particular article on digital trends, a story has been running about the poop burger. Japanese scientists have found a way to create artificial meat from sewage containing human waste. Mitsuyuku Ikeda, a researcher from the Okayama Laboratory, has developed steaks based on proteins from human excrement. Tokyo Sewage approached the scientists because of an overabundance of sewage mud. They asked him to explore the possible uses of the sewage, and Ikeda found that the mud contained a great deal of protein because of all the bacteria. The researchers then extracted those proteins, combined them with a reaction enhancer, and put it in an exploder, which created the artificial steak. The meat is 63% proteins, 25% carbohydrates, 3% lipids, and 9% minerals. The researchers color the quote-unquote meat red with food coloring and enhance the flavor with soy proteins. Initial tests have suggested people say that it even tastes like beef. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Keeper. Nicole Taylor is always the first to talk with new and exciting personalities in the food world on her show, Hot Grease. Check out a little clip. 
Everything is super sweet in the Heritage Radio Network studios today. We're chatting with Fanny Gerson. Fanny is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and the 2011 James Beard Foundation Cookbook Award nominee. Oh my God, we fry in bed style. We have to talk dough. Donuts. I'm going to have to say, Fanny, I don't know if you know this. I was definitely the first person in Brooklyn to start talking about dough. Did you know that? I, I knew that last time I saw you, ah. but I didn't know that before. So we have to talk dough. I mean, it, it is it is a bona fide phenomenon in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm so excited to be part of it, I, and I can't believe it. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was just telling you before the show that uh, I think about a month ago, I went to dough on a Sunday at 2 o'clock, and all the donuts You like what gone. you hear? You can hear Hot Grease every Monday at 3.30 p.m. live on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast or check it out in our archives. The following is a message from Zingerman's. From June 30th to July 3rd, 2011, come hang out at Camp Bacon, a four-day festival hosted by Zingerman's. The main event is an all-day affair at Zingerman's Roadhouse, featuring plenty of bacon, bacon learning, and such luminaries as Alan Benton, John T. Edge, Molly Stevens, and more. The event will be taking place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Proceeds from this event benefit Southern Foodways Alliance. Also, on Friday, July 1st, there'll be a special benefit performance featuring Andre Williams and the Gold Stars and special guests John Langford and Skull Orchard. Visit www.zingermanscampbacon.com for more information and for tickets. Once again, that's www.zingermanscampbacon.com. <laughs> 